Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. During the spring and summer, we're going to be doing a sermon series called Through a Mirror Darkly. The idea behind this series is that we will look at various themes that are universal to the human experience. Each week, we will take a different theme and examine a single or several different stories from the Facebook blog, Humans of New York. I hope you enjoy. And so our first reading comes from Proverbs chapter eight. The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of long ago. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. When he had not yet made earth and field or the world's first bits of soil, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountain of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits, so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master worker, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the human race. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So our second scripture reading today comes from Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Then I looked, and there was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they sing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who have been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. These follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They have been redeemed from humankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found. They are blameless. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So during the spring, what's left of it, I guess, and the summer, we're going to be doing a sermon series called Through a Mirror Darkly. The idea behind this series is that we are going to be looking at themes that are universal to the human experience. And so each week, we're going to take a theme and we're going to look at stories surrounding it that come from the Facebook blog Humans of New York that was created by Brandon Stanton. Now, if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks and you don't know what Humans of New York is or you don't know what that, uh, what, who Brandon Stanton is, you need to go back and you need to watch those other sermons because that's where I talk about that and you can get it from there. Basically, what you do need to know is that he goes around, he takes photographs, he does interviews with people in New York City. And these people, they are very different from you and I. They are in the middle of New York, so what that tells us is, is that it's the cultural center of the United States, and so it's people from all over the world, and so I've taken the best of these stories that I really enjoy and put them together, and the hope is is that even though these experiences will be very different 
from what you and I know that you will mirror or see in a mirror darkly those things that you have experienced in your own life. So each week we'll begin by watching a video. You're going to see the photo up on the screen. You're going to hear the interview with Brandon that's narrated by members of our congregation. And then we're going to get into the theme. And once we're in the theme, my hope is, is that you will reflect on your own experiences that you've been through in your life and that you might try to understand how God is pushing you to be different, to live more into God's will for your life as a Christian. And so with that, let's turn to our story today from Humans of New York. Our father was a music teacher at our school. He was very religious and he ruled our house with an iron hand. We didn't play in the streets like the other kids. We didn't go to prom. Everything was music, music, music. We learned a lot, but we hated him. He was like Joe Jackson. All we did was practice. He'd sit in the other room, and if he heard the music stop, he'd come in and hit somebody. If he heard the wrong note, he'd come in and hit somebody. He'd hit you in front of your girlfriend. And if he brought a friend over, he'd have no problem hitting them too. Our mother left when we were young. One morning we woke up and there was no breakfast in the kitchen and our clothes weren't laid out. Dad got very bitter. We started seeing rolled up dollar bills on the table. I think he maybe slept like six nights the entire first month. He went from sniffing cocaine to smoking cocaine to doing heroin. The drugs actually made him tougher on us. We had less freedom than ever. But by the time we were teenagers, we were beginning to get noticed in the music world. We were getting gigs. We were called the Stokes Family Singers. We even met Michael Jordan when we did a concert at his restaurant. But Dad had a stroke at work one day and died suddenly, and everything came apart. We stopped playing for 10 years after our father's death. We lost all direction. All of us hit the streets and started selling drugs. Our lives fell apart for a long time. Recently, we all got home from prison and we had a meeting. We said, this is not us, and we decided to start playing again. We bought some old instruments and tried to practice, but it was hard at first. We'd forgotten so much, and it was the first time we'd ever played without Dad counting out the beats. But it started to come back to us, like riding a bike. Now we use the music to support each other. If one of us needs something, all of us come out and play. If one of us is behind on rent, we come out and play. If one of us needs to buy Christmas presents for his kids, we come out and play. Now, I remember I saw this story about five years ago come up on my feed, and I took it and I put it aside, and I think the reason why I like this story so much is because I think it's both extraordinarily beautiful and horribly heartbreaking all at the same time. I want to start the sermon today with where they began, which is they were talking about the whole idea of how they started to get into music, and how was it? Their father forced them to learn how to play music through violence which is so far outside the norm of what I can even understand. I could never imagine asking my children or forcing my children to try to learn a skill by threatening them. And I'm probably sure that you feel the same way, right? I mean, I doubt you could understand that to be true. And so when I started thinking about this, I was like, gosh, this is just so beyond my experience of what I know. But yet, at the same time, I realized it's actually not as uncommon as we think. 
How many of you have ever met parents or are a parent that has tried to get your children to do something really amazing at sports? Have you ever met a parent who actually really cared about making sure that their children excelled at sports from a young age, and so they got their kids into sports very, very early, trying to make sure that they would be able to excel at that and almost become pro. Have you ever met anybody like that? Everybody has, right? Don't deny it. You know you've met somebody. You've met a parent who's like that, who's like, you're going to do this, and you're going to be great at it. Now, the sport where that tends to happen the most, the sport that I've seen where that happens the most, actually is tennis. Tennis is all around the world, and you see this as a way where people see it's going to get them out of poverty in many, many instances. And so, probably the best example of this that we have here in the United States of a tennis player who started off like that was Andre Agassi. So, Agassi, if you all know about him, based on the hair, you can tell he was late 80s, right, uh, is when he started. So, late 80s all the way through the early aughts. That's when he was famous. He won eight Grand Slam tournaments. Now, if you don't know anything about tennis, Grand Slams are like the ultimate. If you can win one of those, it's a big, big deal. They're the most grueling tournaments in tennis. Literally, right now, as we're speaking, the French Open, the men are playing the final right now. Whoever will win that, it'll probably be Nadal. He's going to win a couple million dollars out of that. So it's not like this is small beans. It's a, it's a big deal to be able to win a tournament like this, and he won eight of those. He's considered to be one of the greats. But that came at a sacrifice, right? Came at a price. His father, Agassi's father, forced him to practice all the time. He would not take no for an answer, and if he tried to say no, his father was very, very cruel to him. Agassi's earliest memory is him standing on a court as a four-year-old boy holding a tennis racket from the time he was young. Now, by the time he was 13, he had excelled so much that he was accepted into Nick Boletari's Tennis Academy down in Florida. Now, if you don't know about this Tennis Academy, people from all over the world try to get their kids to come to this Tennis Academy. Boletari has actually trained 10 top number one players in the world. So he's clearly, he knows what he's doing, right? He knows what he's up to. So Agassi, he gets sent to this tennis academy in Florida. He's only supposed to be there for three months because that's all his father can afford to get him there. After 30 minutes of watching Agassi play, Boletari calls Agassi's father and says, take your check back. He's here for free. In the ninth grade, Agassi drops out of high school and focuses exclusively on playing tennis because that's what it takes to be the best. And you've probably seen this. You've seen this with people who are really good at music. You've seen this with people who are good at acting, sports, whatever it is. They make it the sole focus of their life to the exclusion of all else. And that's an important thing to remember, is that it takes sacrifice to get there. But here's the thing. A lot of times, when you're young, that sacrifice is not your choice. Who's forcing it on you? The parents right? The parent is forcing you to go and do that. Now, eventually, it may become your choice to make that sacrifice, but a lot of time, the parent is pushing it. And that's what we saw in the story today, right, from this band of brothers who we looked at. So these guys, they didn't choose to do music on their own, did they? No, they did not. Their father forced it on them. Now, they learned a lot about music. They were clearly very good, but they hated their dad, didn't they? 
Now, they compared him to who? Do you remember the comparison? Who was, who was the father like? Joe Jackson, right? Now, Joe Jackson, he ended up producing Michael Jackson, right? Who is like one of the greatest pop musicians of all time. But was Joe Jackson, or was, was Michael Jackson a normal guy? No, he wasn't. Made great music. Wasn't normal, right? Okay, so when you're in that kind of pressure cooker environment, and the stress is there, and then you add violence on top of that, things are really rough. So it's no surprise that their mother eventually decided to leave their father. I don't think that's surprising. I think what is surprising is that she didn't take her boys with her when she left. I mean, that's super hard for us to imagine, isn't it? Can you imagine waking up one morning and your parents just gone? Like, no, I love you, no goodbye, nothing, just vanished. Can you imagine what that would do to you? I mean, that would be heartbreaking, wouldn't it? To wake up and to see that. But what would be even harder is the realization that now that your mother is gone, there is no barrier between you and your father, who is quickly becoming unraveled as he descends further into his addiction. Now, ironically, their one saving grace in all of this is their music, right? Because even though they've been forced to practice all these years, they're now getting really good. And what do they say? They made a name for themselves, right? They end up not just going to Michael Jordan's restaurant, but what? They get to meet Jordan himself. I mean, that's how good they were. He wanted to meet them. So just when there seems to be this light at the end of the tunnel, it all collapses in on them. Because their father dies from all that drug use. And their family, they can't support themselves. And so they let go of their music, and where do they head to? Well, you don't have a mother, you don't have a father, you don't have any means to support yourself, and where they lived, they turned to drugs. Now, this is important. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, if you were here, because we talked about how people who end up selling drugs or use drugs, we tend to think them of, of having a moral failing, right? But that's not true. A lot of times, people who sell or use drugs, they're trying to survive in their own way, or they're trying to create a mental escape from their poverty, and that's what they end up doing, but it puts them in the crosshairs of the law, and so they end up getting arrested, they get placed in prison. Now, 10 years later, they all get out at the same time, they come together, and what do they say? They say, this is not us, we can do better than this, and what brings them back together? I love this, the music. The music brings them back together. So they go out, they get some old instruments, and they start trying to play again. Now, they haven't played in 10 years, so they've lost all the muscle memory, but it slowly starts to come back to them. They start to regain their talent. And today, when they play, they play for each other. They play to support each other, right? What do they do? One of them needs rent, they go into the subway and play. One of them needs presents for their kids, they go into the subway and they play. Clearly they're good enough that they can make a lot of money very quickly doing it. They do it for each other. And so I find this to be absolutely amazing. I love the resolution of this story. It's why I was drawn to it. Because the father uses music as a weapon to control his sons and yet it is music that brings them back together. And so what this tells us is that music has this amazing ability to heal wounds. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to unpack that. What does it mean that music has this magical ability to heal wounds? 
to unpack this, <clears throat> I want to turn to our scripture today from Revelation, which if I'm being perfectly honest with you, I do not preach from Revelation too often because it's got some crazy stuff inside of it, okay? Like, that book is, is really crazy. It's full of all this symbolism, and we don't even know what most of that symbolism means. We're guessing at it, right? Let me give you an example. We read today about the 144,000. 144,000 who follow Jesus. Now, who are these 144,000? Tells you right there. Okay, so they're virgins, right? They have no lie. They don't lie. They're pure of heart, right? They're blameless. So these people, they're pure people, and they're the first to be redeemed by Jesus. Now, we don't really know what that means. Does it mean when Jesus comes back, he's going to redeem them first, right? I mean, we don't know. Now, more than likely, that 144,000, that is symbolic because 144,000 is divisible by 12. And 12 is very important in Judaism because 12 represents the 12 tribes of Israel, right, found in the Bible. But there are some Christians who take this very, very literally. For instance, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they base their entire version of Christianity on this verse. They think they are the 144,000 who are going to be redeemed first by Jesus. Now, today there are 8.4 million Jehovah's Witnesses. So, I don't entirely understand how the math works out on that one, but I'm sure they have a good explanation for it. The whole point being, Revelation, tough book to interpret. But I chose this particular verse because I think it illustrates something so beautiful. So the author is having this vision of heaven and he hears this voice. And the voice, he describes it to us. He says, it's like the sound of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps and they sing a new song. So when he hears this voice, it's not like normal human language. The best analogy that he can think of is music. So if you want to know what it's like to experience heaven, you simply have to think of music, which tells me that there is something of God's presence in music, almost as if God uses music as an intermediary to speak to humans, almost as if music is God's language to us. And this is why we have music in our services. We don't have music in our services to be entertaining, although it can be entertaining sometimes. The fact is, is that that's not why we do it. We have music in our services because it opens the door to an encounter with the divine that you cannot achieve through words. And I think you all know what I'm talking about, right? Like, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I know you guys like sermons. Sermons are good. It's why I have a job. I'm thankful for that, okay? Like, thank you for employing me. But the fact is that sermons, although they can convey stories and ideas and concepts of God, they have their limitations. Because the fact is, no matter how eloquent I am, I'm going to hit a barrier at some point where I can't really describe it any further. And that's where music steps in to fill in the gaps. Whenever you hear the choir sing, or whenever you hear the band play in the chapel, they are speaking God's language. And that language is not like the language we hear from human voice. No, no. 
It is something that is felt. And do you know what I mean by that? Have you ever listened to music and you just feel it inside of you? And that feeling, that feeling is the closest approximation that we can get to experiencing God in this world. Indeed, I truly believe that music is the closest we can get to touching God's presence in our lives. And if you open yourself to the experience of actually feeling the power of music, then what you can do also is experience the power and the significance of God's presence, of God's love, of God's spirit in this world. And that makes a difference. That can, can transform you. Because music, it lifts us up. And it gives us this window into a deeper value and meaning of life. Have you ever heard a piece of music and all of a sudden felt like you had a deeper appreciation for life just after listening to that piece? Has that ever happened to you, ever? I mean, it's happened to me. You're back here. Sounds like they've happened. had it happened a few times, okay? It's happened to me. And I'm sure it's happened to you at some point or another. And it doesn't have to be in here. It can be in other places. But the fact is, is that God is speaking to us through that music. That's how you hear God's voice. And in a sense, that's what this scripture from Proverbs is talking about today. So in this scripture, it says, the Lord created me, wisdom, at the beginning of the world. So this is really interesting, this verse. So before God creates the earth, before God creates the beings within it, God creates wisdom. Now this is strange, isn't it? It's a strange verse, but it's actually one of my favorite in all of Proverbs. Do you know what he's getting at here, whoever the author is? He's saying that God's being is so immense that God can't interact with the physical universe, and so God needs an intermediary to make that happen. And this is why God creates wisdom. It's a way of God being able to interact with the universe, and I would like to suggest to you this morning that when the author of Revelation has this vision of heaven and hears God's voice, that what he's hearing is God's wisdom, and that wisdom is spoken in the form of music. And so to answer the question I posed earlier, which is why does music have this amazing ability to heal wounds? It's because music carries with it some of God's love. And so every time you listen to music, every time you play music, you have this opportunity to soothe those parts of you that are deeply broken. And although we take it for granted, music is a gift to us from God. And that band of brothers who we saw earlier, these guys, they understand that in an intimate way. The world has broken them over and over again, and yet it is the music that brings them together. It is the music that binds up their wounds and heals their soul. It is the music that gives them hope. And although they may not know it, when they play those notes in that subway, they are spreading God's love to those people because as they pass by, they catch a glimpse of God's voice speaking to them as they go about their life. And so today, as you go through this place, as you pass by through here, my hope is, is that you would thank the people who make the music possible in this church. Thank all of the singers who provide us with such beautiful song every single week. Thank you for doing that. Thank the musicians who bring it to life. Thank you, Chris, for what you do every single week. Thank you for providing bells. 
beautiful. This is from my childhood. I love hearing this. I really do. Say thank you to them because what they do is they provide an opportunity for us to hear something in this place. And really, you need to thank Adam because he's the one who puts it all together and makes it happen. We have a music program in this facility that is really second to none. We are known in this area. You may not know this, but we are known in this area for the music that we provide, for the talent that we have. And so we bring you our very best every single Sunday because we want you to hear God's voice. We want you to feel as though God is speaking to you. We want you to experience that opportunity to have your wounds bound up. And we want you to feel hope when you leave here. And that would not happen if it wasn't for the music that was provided in this place. And so I say thank you to all of you who do that. Thank you for bringing it. Thank you for bringing God's presence into this place. Truly, truly, yeah, you can do a little bit. Yes, thank you. Thank you for giving us a glimpse of heaven every single week. Thank you for being our angels. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.